Uh, today we are in week two of a sermon series that we're calling Go, and uh, one of the most famous things, or greatest things, I should say, that Jesus ever said it is, is those phrase, it is finished. We find that in John chapter 19, he says, it is finished, and what he was communicating by this is that what he has come unto this earth to do is, is done. It happened, the cross has happened, right? His suffering is over, like there is forgiveness of sin, the enemy has been dealt this death blow, that what he has come to do, it is finished, to which we as believers go, yeah, it is, like, like it is finished. And now that Jesus' work is finished, the mission begins. And what is so overwhelmingly uh, exciting or amazing about the mission is that Jesus puts the mission into your hands, into my hands. The way that he says it in Matthew chapter 28 is like this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end, to the very end of the age. Now, if you were here with us last week, one of the things that we discovered together is that when it comes to when it comes to this famous passage of scripture that we call the Great Commission, the words to pay attention to there, or the word to pay attention to is the word go. And it has kind of this understanding that when we talk about go, that literally it means in your going. That as you're living your life, as you go to work, as you're on vacation, as you go to school, as you walk your neighborhood, this is what your life should look like that you go about making disciples, you go about baptizing people, you go about your life teaching others what it looks like to follow Jesus, to, to walk in the values and the beliefs that, that Jesus has, has taught us, that that's, that's our going, and this is the great commission, it's the great mission of the church. And this series is really about those words. It's about how we at Crossroads take these words of Jesus to go into the world seriously how we apply this, this great assignment that God has given to us globally, locally, and ultimately individually. And so if you're here with us last week, what we did is we took some time and we took a global perspective. We took the global perspective of what does it look like to bring the gospel into the world? What does it look like to take the gospel to the nations? Today, we're going to narrow that focus a little bit down the funnel, and we're going to talk about the local aspect of this. What does it look like to, to locally go into the communities that God has placed us in? What does it look like to go here in Thornton to Fort Lupton and Brighton and Broomfield and Westminster and North Glen in Federal Heights? What does it look like to live out this great mission that God has given us in the community in which he has placed us? So in order to do that, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, and we're going to look at one of the most soul-rocking passages in all of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible... Uh, as you turn there, when it comes to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah we find in the Old Testament, and what we call it is a book of prophecy. That's an Old Testament prophecy book. Now, when it comes to Old Testament prophecy, I love the Old Testament prophecies, but admittedly, most of the Old Testament prophecies are filled with gloom and doom. It is like jumping off the deep end into just like misery and pain. That's what the Old Testament prophecy books are about. And when it comes to the Old Testament and the prophecies, most most of the prophets who wrote these books were people uh, were not very well liked in society. And the reason that these prophets were not very well liked is because oftentimes the prophets would come in and they would say, Israel, you need to turn your ways. You need to turn from your ways. You need to turn back to God. And if you don't turn back to God, like gloom and doom's coming. 
And the Israelites constantly just looked back and said, leave us alone. We're going to do what we want to do. And so being a prophet was not glamorous. Being a prophet was not like, you know, your pathway to fame and fortune. Being a prophet was hard work. It wasn't very rewarding work because oftentimes in order for people to turn back to God, the gloom and doom had to happen. It, it had to take place. It had to happen in order for people's hearts to return back to God. And so the book that we're looking at today is written by the prophet Jeremiah. And when it comes to the prophet Jeremiah, he had the very difficult task, this very difficult task of ministering to Israel during their most challenging time as a nation, their most challenging time as a people. And like most of the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah was not well liked. And the reason that Jeremiah wasn't well liked is because for 40 years, Jeremiah prophesied his ministry over and over again, again, prophesied that the nation of Babylon, the empire of Babylon was going to come in and crush, take out Israel. They were going to wipe Israel out. And so for 40 years, this is Jeremiah's ministry speaking to time and time again about how the Babylonian empire was going to destroy Israel. And the people of Israel looked at Jeremiah and they thought, man, you're crazy. <laughs> like we're God's people. Nothing like that's going to happen to us. Like, like we're all good. And so they mocked him and they teased him. In fact, King Zedekiah got so tired of Jeremiah's prophecy that he actually threw him in a pit, hoping that he would starve to death. That did not kill Jeremiah. Somehow he made it out of the pit. He remained faithful. And after 40 years of ministry in 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar led his armies, the Babylonian armies, into Israel to, to destroy the nation. So for a moment, what I want you to do is I want you to enter into this reality with me. For a moment, I want you to imagine that you're, a, that you're a Jewish man or a Jewish woman, that you've grown up hearing the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, Moses. You've heard the stories of, of the Red Sea. You've been taught about King David. Like there's little, there's little doubt looking back on your history that God is with you, that you are indeed God's chosen people. And then one day this, this prophet shows up and he claims to be sent by God. And his word to you is that the Babylonian Empire is going to come in and that they're going to, they're going to sack. It's going to sack the nation. It's going to sack Jerusalem. Like everything that we know is, is going to be destroyed. And as you hear his message over the years, you just learn to kind of tune them out. You just drown them out. As you walk through the city, you see Jeremiah preaching, but you pay no attention to them. And then almost out of nowhere, King Nebuchadnezzar declares war on Israel. The thing that you never thought would happen is now actually happening. And for the next three years, your nation is engulfed in war. Your loved ones die. Cities are destroyed. Culture is now full with violence and strife and turmoil. After three years, the war eventually comes to an end as King Nebuchadnezzar marches on the city of Jerusalem, not only destroying the city, but also the sacred temple of God. In the days that follow, you watch your leaders paraded through the streets, pushed down to their knees, executed by beheading. Within a couple of weeks after that, you along with thousands of others are marched hundreds of miles across the desert from Jerusalem to a city called Babylon. From this day forward, every day you wake up, you're in a foreign place. Every day you wake up realizing that you are not in Israel, you are not in Jerusalem, you are in Babylon. 
Every day you wake up realizing this city is not your city. These laws are not your laws. The king that you're now forced to serve is not the king of Israel, but the king, the pagan king of Babylon. The beliefs, the values, the traditions that you were taught as a young child through the word of God is not the beliefs, the traditions, the values of this nation. It's not the values of of Babylon. Every day, month after month, you grapple with the realities that this is not the way that it ought to be. Like, we're God's people. This, This isn't the way that it ought to be. This isn't the way that it should have gone down. Then one day, a letter shows up to you in Babylon. And you find out that it's written from Jeremiah, the the, the prophet that you had made fun of, the prophet that you teased all of those years. Water under the bridge. You believe him now. You believe him. You, along with the other exiled people, push in around the letter to hear what it has to say. He begins writing, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4, he writes these words, thus says the Lord of hosts. And almost immediately, your heart is warmed, isn't it? Like despite all the turmoil and the strife and the war and the suffering, God is still with us, that God has not forgotten us. And as you hear those those words spoken over you, all of a sudden your confidence begins to build. Like, Like immediately your mind begins to wander, like Jeremiah's coming. Like he's raising up an army, he's coming to get us, God's gonna save us. Like this is all gonna be over soon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to to Babylon. God, you did this? Yeah. And I want you now living in Babylon to build houses and to live in them. (laughs) No, 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 no. Plant gardens and and eat their produce. God, what what are you saying? I want you to take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. God, it sounds like we're going to be here a long time. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray, pray to the Lord on its behalf. God, God, you want me to, you want me to pray for Babylon? For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. All of a sudden, the confidence that you were feeling as the letter arrived in the mail is giving away. It's giving away as you, as you find yourself disheartened, completely taken back. How could God say this? Build houses, plant gardens, have kids, seek the welfare of the city. Are you for real? Like, like we're not even supposed to be here. And now you want us to set up lives here? I mean, this is not at all what you wanted to hear. Like you wanted to hear that Jeremiah was coming, that he's coming to bring you home. You wanted this to be the end of your suffering and your trial. And instead, God's plan for you is to stay right here, right where you are, to prosper the city, the nation that has enslaved you, that your future is Babylon that you are and will be an exile, a sojourner, an alien, living out your life in a place that is not your home, that you are in Babylon, not Israel, not Jerusalem, you are in Babylon. 
Now, come out of the story for a moment with me. That when it comes to the city of Babylon, it has a long history in the Bible. The first time that we see Babylon mentioned is in Genesis chapter 11. God gives a command to the people of the earth. He says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to spread out and fill the entire world. And the people of Babylon go, yeah, nope, we're not going to do it. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to build this tower that goes all the way up into the heavens that when people come into the city, they'll know who did it, that people will say, how great you are, Babylon. They will give us the praise and the glory. That's what we're going to do. And from that point forward in the Old Testament, Babylon, the city of Babylon comes to, to represent, it comes to, it comes to be known as the place that seeks its own glory, not God's glory. It becomes known as the place that is worldly and wicked, a, godly, a godless city that, that strives after its own glory and against God. We get to the New Testament and we see that, that Babylon is, is not just mentioned in the past or even in the future, that, but that it actually comes to be this, this portrait of the human condition, of, of human depravity, that Babylon, theologically speaking, represents people who are far away from God. That's what Babylon is. And Jeremiah looks at the people of Israel, these exiled people of God, and he says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. I want you to seek the welfare of the city. And what is totally crazy is that word welfare in the Hebrew is the word shalom. Now, if you've been around Crossroads any amount of time, you know that shalom is a pretty big deal when it comes to the way that we live out our lives, that shalom, like the definition of shalom is peace. That's what it means, that shalom is, is peace, it is flourishing, it is completeness, it is the flourishing of God's creation, especially when it comes to human beings. So get what's being said here. That God is saying that he wants these exiles from Israel to extend shalom, that is peace, that he wants to bring about the flourishing of Babylon, of the city of Babylon. And if they're willing to seek that kind of shalom for the city, then they will also experience shalom in their own lives. In other words, Jeremiah says, God wants you to walk about the city, not with your noses turned up, thinking that you're better than them, but actually to get down on your hands and your knees and serve them. That to bring about the flourishing, the shalom of the city means that you're going to have to genuinely love the city. It means you're going to have to genuinely love the people. It means that you're going to have to leave your community and your areas of comfort and start being responsible for the larger community. It means that you're going to have to serve the common good, not just the Israeli good. Now, truth be told, if we were being honest with ourselves... Removed from this situation a couple of thousand years, you know, removed from the turmoil and the strife and the cultural realities that were going on here, that sitting here today in the comfort of our building some 2,000 years later, maybe even closer to 2,500 years later, we look at this and we go, you know what, this is kind of cool. That God's using this, this exiled people who are in Babylon to bring about the goodness of the city, to, to make God known, to make Yahweh known in the city, this evil city of Babylon. And we look at this, and, there's, and there's, some, there's something we look at, and we go, man, that's kind of cool. And yet, at the same time, we have to realize that this is not just a letter that was written for a far-off people in a faraway land a long, long time ago. But this was a letter written for us as well today, written to Crossroads Church. See, one of, the, um, one of the common terms used in the New Testament when it comes to Christians or believers is the term 
exile. That multiple times in the New Testament, we are called exiles, sojourners, aliens. We see this probably most clearly in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter, one of Jesus' original 12. He writes these words to Christians. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus. Here's who he's writing to. To those who the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing to a group that he calls the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, elect just means the chosen people of God. Exile means that they're living in a home that is not their own, a place that is not their, their own. And dispersia is a term that is primarily used of the Israelites referring back to the time when Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city of Jerusalem and marched people into Babylon. That was the dispersion. And what Peter is writing here, what he's doing here, is he's saying, he's saying that he's not describing, let me say this, he's not describing Israelites. He's not describing the Hebrew people of history, but rather he is describing Christians. He's describing believers who in large part were born, raised, and lived in the cities that they are now indwelling. That when it comes to what Peter is saying, he's saying that Christians are the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, this is so fascinating. We have to wrap our minds around this. This is so huge. The word exile in the Greek is peripid amos. And what it means, I'm not going to kind of Greek out with you, but oftentimes when it's what it means or what we see is when it comes to the root word, understanding it is so good for us that when we see this in scripture, it's translated for us exile. Sometimes it's translated for us as sojourner. Now, this word, this Greek word is difficult for us to translate. We don't quite have a one-for-one translation, but maybe the best way that we could translate this word is resident alien. You know a resident alien, right? Like a resident alien is someone who lives in a place, but culturally they're not from that place. They're not a citizen of that place. Like in our American culture, in our American society, it's someone who's living here on a green card. That's who a resident alien is. They're part of a society. They speak the language. They have, they have a job. They have a place to live. But they're not like us. They have different values and traditions that they're different than our values and traditions. They're not citizens. They don't have the same rights and privileges that we do as citizens of this nation. It's not expected that they're going to live for here forever. That's what it means to be a resident alien. Now, I know that when I use this language, for some of you, it's charged because of the political setting that we find ourselves in. But don't miss what Peter's saying. You have to get this to understand this because Peter is intentionally using this word to describe Christians living in this world. He says we are exiles, that we are sojourners, that we are resident aliens, that he's writing to those of us who have found our hope in Jesus, and here's what he's saying, that you are an exiled people, to which we go, Pete, I don't know if I get or understand that. Like, I was, I'm native. I was born here. Like, I'm as, I'm as USA as it comes. What do you mean that I'm exiled? Well, Paul comes along, and he helps us understand it. In Philippians chapter 3, he writes these words. He says, but don't you know that our citizenship is in heaven? 
our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is that you are not citizens of this earth, that when you come to faith in Jesus, when you place your faith in Jesus, you are not a citizen of this earth. Rather, first and foremost, you are a citizen of heaven, that this is a foreign place, that you are a citizen of heaven, that you are in exile, that every day when you wake up, you are in a foreign place, that every day when you wake up, you realize that you are not in the new heavens and the new earth, you are in Babylon. I mean, for a moment, just, just wrap your minds around that. You live in Babylon. This city is not your city. These laws are not your laws. The beliefs and the values and the traditions that you've learned from God's words are not the beliefs, the values, and traditions of this city that you live in Babylon. And as much as I like to joke with people that Colorado is the real promised land when we're reading the Bible, as much as I love the people here, as much as, as I love the life that I have in Colorado, we have to realize that this is not God's city. This is not God's nation. This is Babylon. And every day we wake up month after month and we grapple with the reality of how do we live? What do we do in Babylon? And just like the Israelis, the Hebrew people got a little bit confused about what they were to do when they lived in exile, so too do we as Christians, that we think that God is going to come in and save us, that he's going to deliver some political leader to protect us as Christians. When God's plan has always been the same for those who are in exile. The plan is, is when you live in Babylon, we seek the shalom of the city. That when we live as exiles, we seek the shalom of the city. We pray for it. We work to bring about flourishing in it physically, socially, economically, spiritually. See, this understanding is so earth shattering. This is like a, this is like a God rock your soul kind of moment. See, I went to school for a lot of years in order to preach the Bible, to be able to, to teach, to do what I do. And I've known about shalom for a very long time. I could translate shalom for you. I could define shalom for you. I could tell you what shalom looked like and, and what it meant. The problem in my life for so many years is I didn't apply shalom very well. Because shalom for me, the peace for me, was what happened inside of me. That as I, as I pursued God, that there would be this peace that filled my life, this shalom that filled my life. But here's the reality is that when we have that kind of mindset around shalom, we're applying shalom wrong because shalom that just lives with me is not really shalom. That shalom is meant for the world. That shalom is the webbing together of God and people and creation for flourishing, for, for wholeness. Jeremiah 29, verse 7, hear it in the ears with the ears of a believer. Believers seek the welfare, the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile. I want you to pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. And so when the early church heard Jesus, heard Jesus' words to go into all the world, what they did is they just applied what they knew from the Old Testament. 
They just begin to live out what they already knew in Jeremiah chapter 29. And so in the cities with the early church, when the cities begin to fill with, with the homeless and the vulnerable, it was the church that brought charity as well as hope. When the city started to fill with newcomers and, and those who were sojourning through their country, it was the church that gave the basis for friendship. When the, church, when the city started to fill with widows and orphans, it was the early church that came alongside and gave a new perspective of what family was all about. When the cities were filled with violence and turmoil and ethnic strife, it was the church that came along and gave a new basis for unity. That when Jesus said go, the early church goes, yeah, we get what that looks like. Let's go pray for the city. Let's go about bringing flourishing for the city. Let's not worry about just the Christian good. Let's, look, let's worry about the common good and see what God does in it. And it changed the world. See, the payoff for us is in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. Jeremiah keeps writing. He says this, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years or so are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and I'll bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, for your shalom, for your flourishing, and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I, have, where I have chased you, driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, historically speaking, this is exactly what happened. After 70 years of the Israelites, the Hebrew people living in Babylon, God delivered them and brought them back to Israel. Spiritually speaking, this is the picture of our lives. That for 70 or so years, we live a lifetime in exile as believers. And as we pursue the shalom of the city, as we pursue the shalom of the Babylon in which God has placed us after a lifetime, God is true to his promises and he comes to bring us home. That as we experience shalom in this world, it drives us into deeper relationship with God. That we're able to see the heart of God. May we be so blessed to know God and to experience God at that depth. See, as I look out at our cities today, I see cities that are both broken and beautiful. That you don't have to spend much time watching the evening news to see how broken our cities are, do you? How much turmoil and strife and violence fills our communities. You don't have to spend very much time realizing that what the Bible says is true, that we live in Babylon. We live in a godless society that seeks its own glory above the glory of God. And yet at the very same time, the cities in which we live in are beautiful because they're made up of individual faces. And at Crossroads, we believe that God cares deeply for every single human being that every single person is made in the image of God. And because they're made in the image of God, that they have divine worth and attributes and values that they are good. And it is our responsibility to bring about the common good 
namely flourishing to all people God brings into our circle of influence. And so strategically, during COVID, we made the decision. We made the decision to take the original building, our North Glen campus, and turn it into a community center so that we can live out the words that we're finding here today. In fact, I want you to see the vision statement. It comes right out of this passage for our community center. The community, the Crossroads Community Center serves as a missional hub to empower people toward a more stable future through the transformational experience of Christ's love. A dynamic adventure that focuses on spiritual, social, physical, and economic flourishing. That's what the community center is about. That's what we're doing is we're trying to live out Jesus' words to go into the world through the local aspect of this church. And so what I want to do is just for a moment, I want you to watch a video of the things that are happening at the community center. Check this out. So the question that always follows in a sermon like this is if this is what our church is doing, how do I get involved? And so I wanna spend just a few moments because when you leave today and to go out into the lobby, you'll see tables everywhere. And those are tables that represent our partners that are serving in and through the community servers, uh, center, both ministries and organizations. And so when you leave today, I just wanna talk through some of the tables that you'll see out there. First and foremost, you'll see the Celebrate Recovery table. Tomorrow, Monday evening, we are starting a brand new ministry called Celebrate Recovery. We consider this and believe this to be an anchor ministry of our community center. It is a ministry that Chris, Pastor Chris, has been working on uh, for the better part of a year. And it's a ministry that comes alongside people to help them find freedom from the things that control their, their lives. Whether that be substance abuse to emotional things that are happening and everything in between, it comes to help free people to experience flourishing. So people can experience flourishing in their lives by overcoming the things that control them. Another table that you'll see out there is All Stars, our All Star Club. About a year and a half ago, we partnered with All Stars. It's an organization that helps the most vulnerable in this world, those who are adults with special needs. And once a month on Fridays, we invite special needs adults to come into the community center. We have fun with them. We play with them. We sing with them. We have a great, great time of hanging out with them. And all of that happens at the community center. The third table that you'll see out there is our ESL table. English as a second language. We believe this is also an anchor ministry at our community service. On, in, on Monday, or I'm sorry, on Tuesday or Wednesday, Anytime during that time, we have anywhere between 60 and 80 students who are part of ESL. They represent about 40 countries uh, in the world. The world is coming to us. We don't have to, we don't have to go. We, we, the world's coming. And ESL is a place where Christians are teaching those who need to know English, English. 
in cool and loving ways. We also have a citizenship class so that people who come into this country can find out ways to become legal in this country. Also out there is Good News Clubs. Listen, Good News Clubs is run by uh, Children's Evangelism Fellowship. And several years ago, probably five, six years ago, the public schools opened up a door for us to come in and do after-school programming. I mean, just listen to this. Public schools asked a church to come in and do after-school programming. We said, okay, we'll come in. We're bringing the gospel. They said, bring it. And so we are. So this is where we're at, okay? So we have four good news clubs happening in schools. About 200 families are involved in those schools. We want to expand that. We need helpers in that. And so when you walk out today, you'll see that organization with there. Also out there is More Better Bikes. Pastor Kim, our former senior pastor in his uh, late stages of ministry, began an organization called More Better Bikes that helps people with transportation by giving them bikes at no cost or low cost, doing uh, bike repairs. He's out there. We have Save Our Youth. Save Our Youth is an organization that is in the north part of Denver in large part because of Crossroads. Last year after COVID, Thornton Middle School, just down the road from us, came to Save Our Youth, a faith-based mentoring organization, and said, we have 150 kids who are at risk, who need help. Would you be able to help us? And so they said, yes. And so Crossroads, because of your generosity, we funded the entire first year of ministry at Thornton Middle School, and we are supplying people, adults, who want to come alongside at-risk kids and, and have, a, have a voice in their life as you mentor them in your life. You'll also find Young Life out there. Young Life is, a, is an organization that goes into the high schools. And the whole reason that Young Life exists is to build bridges of authentic relationship so that they can point teenagers towards Jesus. Finally, the table out there you'll see is a community center team that in the video you saw was events that are happening at our community center. One of the cool events that we did in December was uh, we had the people in our society, in our culture, who could not afford Christmas to come to the community center to be able to get gifts for their kids. Now, the part of that was is that they had to actually work through their social worker and they had to go and serve in a local organization for four hours and able to be able to come be a part of this. But when they came in, their kids went to one area to play. They were able to shop throughout really the whole center to find gifts for their kids, get them wrapped so that they could have uh, gifts under the tree for Christmas. It was a super cool event over three days there. In March, we're doing a day of the arts where we've invited Adams 12 School District to come in and there's gonna be choir concerts and art things happening all day there. All that to say is that we regularly have events there. If you're administrative, if you like to throw parties, if you like to serve people, we could use you on the team there uh, to make that center vibrant and, and well as we continue to bring flourishing in this community. Those are the eight or nine partners that are out there today. We actually partner with over 25 partners through the community center to bring flourishing in this community. And as you step out today, you can find out more about that as you leave, all right? With that said, let me pray for us. Father, Lord, we come to moments like this in our lives. We see so clearly your word given to us. And Lord, we, we allow, we allow the, the reality that we are exiles to sink in to our lives. Lord, that you have saved us. And in your saving, you have you have made us citizens of heaven. Lord, you have given us a mission to go into this world, to bring about the flourishing of these cities, to bring about impacts 
physically, emotionally, economically, socially, most importantly, spiritually, into lives. And so, Father, we know that that is a big task that your son asks of us. And we are up to that task. And so I pray that you give us the strength and the courage to live it out. God, I pray that today we would realize the role that we play in the cities in which you've called us to live in. Lord, may we fulfill the mission that you've given to us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We come together around the table of communion and we celebrate today because of Jesus' words, it is finished. That the cross has happened, sin has been paid for. The enemy has been defeated and we have been given life. If you're here today and you've never experienced Jesus, if you don't know what it even looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to have that conversation with you. We have a text line, you heard about it earlier, Grant spoke about it. The number is 720-513-1933. And today, if you text the name of Jesus to that number, we'll get in touch with you about what it looks like to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. So we come today celebrating that the reason that we are not citizens of this world, but rather citizens of heaven, completely free to experience shalom in our lives is because of what Jesus did on the cross where his body was broken for our sins, where his blood was poured out so that we might have life. And so today we remember and we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross as a family together. drink from the cup, giving thanks for our salvation. I'm going to invite everybody in-house to stand as we sing together. If you need prayer online, you can click the button in-house. You can make your way over to the prayer banner. We'd love to pray for you today, but let's stand and worship together.